Welcome to the Whistleblower Newsroom. I'm Christina Borgeson. In less than two weeks, on May 16th, 2022, the trial of former Hillary Clinton campaign lawyer Michael Sussman will begin. Sussman's indictment for misrepresenting himself to the FBI as a concerned citizen instead of the Clinton campaign's lawyer while delivering false allegations connecting Trump to a Russian bank is the second to arise from special counsel John Durham's investigation into possible government misconduct during the 2016 elections and the origins of the Justice Department's Trump-Russia probe. Meanwhile, former President Trump has filed a racketeering lawsuit in Florida against top-level Clinton campaign and DNC officials, saying they conspired to, quote, cripple his bid for the presidency by fabricating a scandal that would be used to trigger an unfounded federal investigation and ignite a media frenzy, close quote. A conspiracy that Trump charges cost him tens of millions of dollars in legal defense fees. If allowed discovery, this case, coupled with Durham's probe, could bring the Clinton campaign Russiagate operation, its key players, and what they did into very sharp focus. My guest today is working on a more sensitive angle of alleged Russian interference in the 2016 elections and hasn't been doing it longer than Mr. Durham has been on his job. Although the official narrative is that the Russians hacked DNC servers to provide WikiLeaks with damning information on Hillary Clinton and her campaign, among other things, Texas lawyer Ty Clevenger has, through freedom of information fights in the courts with the FBI, CIA, and NSA, exposed a multi-agency cover-up of evidence showing that no Russian hack of the DNC took place and that DNC staffer Seth Rich's death is most likely connected to WikiLeaks having received the DNC data from an insider. A significant part of that cover-up involves various fraudulent activities in which the FOIA offices of these federal law enforcement and intelligence agencies engage to avoid releasing documents that the public has a right to see. Clevenger is here today to detail this malfeasance, talk about what he's uncovered lately, and explain why even though John Durham and his team should be very interested in what he has uncovered, they are pointedly ignoring him. Welcome, Ty. Good morning. Michael Sussman's trial is going to begin on May 16th, and he was the Clinton campaign lawyer who went to the FBI and fraudulently presented himself as a regular citizen, bringing this information about Russian collusion with Trump when he was actually part of this whole operation funded by the Clinton campaign to promote the idea that Trump was colluding with the Russians, fraudulently promote that idea. You have been pursuing the whole Russian DNC hack. So here we have on one side, we've got the Russians hacked the DNC and how what was behind all that. And that's what you've been pursuing. And then we have the Durham who's pursuing How did all this Russian collusion stuff come about? And at some point, it seems to me that these two inquiries should intersect. Yeah, they should have already. Why should they? And why haven't they? The reason they should intersect is because, as you know, I'm working on the uh, Seth Rich FOIA, and uh, the FBI has been forced to turn over hundreds of pages of records that originally said didn't exist. Um, So... The FBI started out saying that, you know, the whole, let me back up. Of course, the idea that Seth Rich was the source of the DNC leaks uh, was just mocked. Um, And anybody who talked about that was uh, treated as a conspiracy theorist. In fact, uh, there's a Rolling Stone reporter, Andy Kroll, who's writing a book and appears to be in that direction that the whole thing is just a conspiracy theory. Now, Seth but, Rich, just to remind the audience, was he was murdered in uh, 2016, right. shot from behind. Right. Uh, he was a DNC staffer, and uh, apparently he was walking home and he got shot. And Washington, D.C. police said, well, this is a, this is a robbery gone wrong when there was mm-hmm. actually no evidence of that. Later on, a lot of things were coming out that that connected, and this is what your efforts have been about, have that connected uh, Seth Rich's murder 
with the conveying of DNC emails and stuff from the DNC server to WikiLeaks. Right. One okay. of the interesting things we discovered is that there was there were FBI field offices in San Francisco and Las Vegas that were out interviewing people. Um, they've taken possession of his work laptop, work laptop, his at least the data from his personal laptop. There's another computer disk. There's a video disk. Um, and again, the FBI was originally claiming it had no records about Seth Rich, so clearly they were very involved in this. Um, there's uh, the email from Peter Strzok, the infamous FBI agent, uh, who at one point says that he squashed the, squashed the blank, and it doesn't say a what, and so we're fighting to get the redactions pulled off of this. But anyway, there's very clear evidence now. There's, there's something going on. The FBI was involved in the investigation. Um, FBI would not be involved in a street robbery, obviously. Um, so we've been reporting a lot of this to Durham and his people and uh, no response whatsoever. I was looking at lawflog.com, which is your website that reports on your efforts. And I was just looking at the headlines from June 2020 to uh, mid last year, 2021. And, you know, here, June 2020, new FOIA lawsuit seeks FBI records about Seth Rich. December 2020, FBI changes story, finally admits it has thousands of pages of documents about Seth Rich. December 30th, National Security Agency hiding communications between Seth Rich and Julian Assange. January 14th, 2021, CIA refuses to say whether it framed Russia for leaked DNC emails. FBI apparently ignored Seth Rich's laptop. April 23, 2021, FBI releases records about murdered DNC employee Seth Rich. And then the last one is CIA calls Cash Patel. He's the Trump administrative official who said CIA was sitting on damning information about Russian collusion. Uh, so it's the it's CIA calls Cash Patel a liar. So clearly, you know, you have sussed out some very damning evidence right. showing that there is a connection between the government and a cover up of Seth Rich's murder. This well, is why makes the question why why would they do that? Exactly. I really want to get into the details of your court fights with these various government agencies because they're absolutely fascinating and they themselves are a study in how a cover-up is, is run, at least in the FOIA realm. Yeah. But let's talk about the it's convergence. Wrong, and I'll throw this in, just something a tangential, but I've argued for years that we need criminal penalties for FOIA violations. A lot of the states have that if you violate their open records laws. Um, the feds, there are no consequences whatsoever, and they know it, and they, they just don't care. They don't even try to comply. You know, it's very interesting that you say that, because other people, uh, other lawyers are noticing in other major cases of government malfeasance that a lot of the federal laws, the federal laws cover malfeasance against the government, but do not address government malfeasance against others right. and this is a whole area of the law that needs to be developed yeah, so absolutely. that being said we started we started our conversation by talking about the convergence of your efforts and durham's efforts so could you talk a little bit about first of all what durham has has been up to and what he did and what you've been up to and where, how they should converge and why they're not converging. I should start off with mentioning a website that I follow. It's called theconservativetreehouse.com. Um, there's a guy that writes on there by the nom de guerre of Sundance. And he has been arguing um, for at least a year, actually definitely longer than a year, that, uh, that Bill Barr was the bondo to cover the, the wreck and then Durham is the, the paint to cover up the Bondo. What is Bondo? I'm sorry. <laughs> Bondo is what you use to like uh, fix a, a hole in a car. Oh, okay. Like okay. Like <laughs> Bullet holes or whatever. 
Oh, so, okay. Bill Barr. Yeah, and I didn't believe him at first, but now I, I totally believe that. But, but his, the, the most important argument he makes is that Durham is only going to go after private defendants. So he's going after Sussman, who's a lawyer and doesn't work for the government. Um, he will eventually, I'm, I'm certain, go after some of these tech people um, who help put the whole scam together. He's going to go, probably going to go after people at the DNC. What he's not going to do is go after somebody like John Brennan. He's not going to go after somebody like Jim Comey, that the CIA director, FBI director, respectively. Um, he's not going to go after the people inside the government uh, who were involved in this. And, and the reason I say that, or at least that's the belief I'm coming to, is because we have begged him to look into this evidence that we have. They won't even talk to us, just ignore us. Wow. So I, I have low expectations. Why is it that you think, feel that uh, former U.S. Attorney General William Barr is the one who's holding this cover up together? When he was the AG, he was, he was basically almost like controlled opposition. Um, he would go after certain things. He denounced Russian collusion to an extent, um, but he never, never carried the football across the goal line. So basically what you're saying is Durham is, is, is running a containment exercise yes. in his investigation. I believe so. That correlates with a Wall Street Journal article recently. I think it was the May 3rd article where they're saying, oh, this trial is coming up and and it, it looks like, I'm paraphrasing here, okay, what uh, Durham is going after is he's basically going to show that this is a dirty tricks thing on the part of the Clinton, the Clinton presidential campaign. And, you know, these people, they, they lie about their opponents. It's not good, but there's nothing really criminal about it. And uh, so it's going to be a nothing, you know, move along, nothing much to see here. This is a Wall Street Journal sort of setting up. It seems like they're setting up what's going to happen. And but but the Wall Street Journal says they've they've done a great public service in exposing these shenanigans. So there's no mention of any criminal liability uh, for Hillary Clinton here. Right. And I don't think they'll ever go after, no, no matter, you know, if there's a smoking gun in their hand, I don't think they're, so, they're going to go after. You know, there's just a level of people in D.C. who are truly um, above the law. And so you may get this bit player, Michael Sussman, you may get the bit player, the FBI. This is what I don't understand. If Michael Sussman is there representing the Hillary Clinton campaign, who's in charge of that, Hillary Clinton, you know, she needs to be brought in because she's the whole, you know, she's in charge of all this. She's the capo di tutti copy who's, uh, who okayed this thing. I think the biggest obstacle is Merrick Garland is the attorney general. And it doesn't matter, you know, like I said, if she's got a smoking gun in her hand, it's just, they're not going to go there. Um, she's probably going to run in 2024. You know, they don't want to cause any more damage than necessary to her or the campaign. I mean, this people at that level just they don't get touched. Now, now on the civil side, um, I think that's a different animal. I think uh, you know Trump's lawsuit down in Florida, where he's got racketeering allegations. Uh, I I think he may get some traction on that. Could you talk more about that? Trump, I don't know, a month ago, maybe longer, filed this, this racketeering suit in, in Florida that is alleging, and he named Hillary Clinton in this one, that uh, there was a racketeering enterprise that was created to cause him. He lost money because of it, and that uh, a lot of these people are involved. There are a whole lot of players named in this. And so I think more easily than on the criminal side, he's going to be able to get documents out of the DNC, and regardless of whether Durham or Barr are willing to go there, I think a private, private litigant can, can get that stuff. I mean, incidentally, that parallels with what we're doing uh, with the FOIA cases. We're forcing this stuff out of the hands of the FBI. Nobody may ever be cr held criminally responsible, but I think the public will know just how dirty the FBI is. 
I just don't understand why nobody can be held criminally responsible. How can, how can that be? Political interference. Washington, D.C. is... So our laws mean nothing. They do not apply to these agencies. No, just to the little guys. I mean, I've said for years, Washington, D.C. is the world's biggest mutual blackmail society. Um, everybody's got dirt on somebody else. And so, you know, once you get to a certain level, you're untouchable, but you don't rat out anybody else. I think that's exactly what's going on. So, so Trump's lawsuit, uh, his, his civil lawsuit in Florida, is that all about the Russian, Russian collusion, collusion sto- story and yeah, how he right. lost money? What else did he say he lost? Do you know? Well, on a racketeering suit, you have to, you can't, at least in most interpretations, you can't allege just injury to your reputation. It has to be to your business or your property. So it's a little harder to prove. But as long as he can pass that hurdle, and I don't care if it's a dollar's worth of damage um, to finances or business or whatever, then you can keep the racketeering lawsuit alive. And of course, the purpose of this lawsuit is not to make money. He doesn't need it. Um, the purpose is to get discovery, to be able to conduct depositions, to you know, ultimately have videotaped depositions of people like Hillary Clinton, and uh, then, then to release that to the public. Um, so I, I kind of like what we're doing with the FOIA cases. Have you been in touch with those lawyers? I have. I've shared information with them. I don't know what they're going to do with it. Um, hopefully, they will pursue the Cetridge angle as well. Um, I think there are a lot of people sitting around waiting to see what we get out of the, the, the Huddleston cage, which case, which is the case trying to get the Seth Rich records. Let's start talking about the Huddleston case, because a lot has occurred in the courts and a lot of things have been done and said that I think the public should hear about. Now, it was in 2017, right, that wow. you filed a FOIA seeking information regarding uh, misappropriation of DNC emails and Seth Rich, right? Right. Start there. And now Huddleston, explain who Brian Huddleston is and talk about the the filing and talk about the response to that filing, the FBI's response. Right. So originally in 2017, I filed a FOIA in my own name. Um, The FBI didn't respond. So I sued them here where I live in Brooklyn in federal court. First of all, the, uh, the FBI comes back and says, we don't have any records. We've searched our index system, so we don't have any records. And Judicial Watch, in a separate case, had requested the uh, text messages of Peter Strzok and Lisa Page, the two infamous lovebirds at the FBI who were deeply involved in the Russia collusion story. And what text messages and were they looking for? All of them back and forth, just to see what they were up to with all this Russia collusion stuff. So. Uh, just by happenstance, there was a text message exchange back and forth between them about Seth Rich. There were some other people involved in the text message exchange. And then at some point in there, uh, Peter Strzok says, he, he squashed this with blank. We don't know who that was or exactly what that means, whether it was a reporter or somebody else. Um, so that just came up during the course of the 2017 case um, separately. Um, the federal prosecutor assigned to the murder in D.C. Um, conducted an interview where she made all these disclosures about the government's involvement in talking to the FBI. So, Wait a minute, assigned to the what? So the case was assigned to the U.S. Attorney's Office in D.C., so I should give a little okay. context there. Yeah, It's a very unique jurisdiction. They don't have a district attorney who prosecutes D.C., crimes, whether, you know, murder, robbery, that kind of stuff. It's actually, the, it's a federal district. It's the U.S. attorney that prosecutes the local equivalent to state level crimes. So, you know, she was the one that first let it slip that she had relayed information to the FBI. So is I that took, Deborah Sines? Is that Deborah the homicide? Uh, prosecutor. Okay. She's retired yes. now. Okay. So I put that out in front of the court here in Brooklyn, where I live. And the judge just shrugged it off, threw the case out um, without allowing any further discovery or forcing the FBI to do a better search, just threw it out. And so wow. um, I had this friend in, uh, in Collin County, Texas, which is north of Dallas. Um, and there's a judge there who ironically was appointed by Obama, but is very much a straight shooter on this kind of stuff. And so we filed it there. Is that Judge Mazant? Judge Mazant. Okay. And he's not a partisan. He just calls, you know, balls and strikes. 
So uh, he has been very fair to us. And the FBI now has been forced to admit that it had hundreds of pages of documents. Many of these documents were not in its index system, which... So when they initially replied, they were um, disingenuous because they, they basically yes. said, we don't have anything in our index system. Index. So just, they limited yeah. that. The, the, the cover up there is they limited it to... In our index system, is that is yeah, that? Let me, am let I let me talk about that index system because okay. we're we're now getting into something that's much more far-reaching than just this one Freedom of Information Act case. What we're discovering is that well, we already knew this that that whether something gets added to the index system is entirely left up to the agents working on the case. So it's very subjective. Very subjective. One of the questions we had is whether and who might have given orders to don't enter this into the index system. Um, but we know there's a lot of information, whether it's intentional or accidental, and I think it's probably intentional, that gets left out of the index system. So that's and the so, first opportunity for a cover-up act absolutely. for a FOIA, I is you know that more. this is hot, a hot potato, you know that there's some stuff behind this, do not enter it into the index system. Well, what we're also discovering is that there are entire databases, there are entire uh, divisions within the FBI that they just don't search, that are not part of this index system. And so that's the scam is in all these FOIA cases. If, you, if you're not experienced in dealing with the FBI, that's the way they dupe you. They come back and say, oh, we, can, we searched our index system and there's nothing there. And, and like this first judge in Brooklyn, most of these judges, are, you know, rubber stamp it. And that's right. the end of it. Right. Uh, so what uh, happened there in uh, Texas? What we gradually sussed out was that, uh, yeah, there's a lot of documents that were not in the system. There's thousands of pages originally. Now they're saying hundreds, but we're going to fight over that. We, we want to see the full original set of documents. Out of um, all the documents they produced, they have completely withheld, the documents they have identified, they have completely withheld 85%. The remaining 15% are heavily redacted, um, you know, which begs the question why. If, <laughs> if, if this is a street robbery, as they have maintained, first of all, as we just talked about earlier, why is the FBI involved? Well, they're not for a street robbery. And then why are they redacting all this? I, I need to understand something because you said Washington is considered a federal district. So right. who should be involved in it then? Um, homicides in the district are investigated by the Metropolitan Police Department, oh, okay. the D.C. local police department. And that's who is, you know, has claimed that it's investigating the murder. Um, are they still investigating it? That's what they say. Which, you know, again, begs the question, if they're the ones investigating the murder, the FBI is claiming we're not investigating the murder. Well, then what, what else would you be investigating besides the leak of the DNC emails. Um, so, you know, that takes us back to Durham. Why isn't Durham involved in this? Why isn't he getting the documents that we're getting? Why isn't he trying to get documents from us? And so far, no interest. I mean, it's, it's, it's possible that the grand jury, Durham's grand jury is issuing grand jury subpoenas and getting some of this, but I see no indication of that. It might be an interesting exercise to send him some very, very salient documents. We're going to do better. Oh, okay. What we're, are you going to do? We're going to make it all public. Every last bit of it's going to be public. Whatever we get, we're going to, you know, spread it to the media, put it up on the website so anybody can see it. Um, and I'll sure I'll email him and his investigators again. But in the early stages, um, one of my clients, Ed Butowski, did talk with one of the investigators and tell him, you know, look, there's all this stuff. Talked with him by phone, call, called him, Ed reached out, not the FBI agent. And, uh, you know, related this, said, look, there's all this stuff here. They never responded. I mean, I've got the business address of John Durham himself. I've got the business address. I've got the email, the official email for him, for his chief investigator. You know, we've emailed them multiple times. Let's go back to you on behalf of Huddleston filed this this uh, complaint in the Texas courts. And that was in 2017. And some other things happened in 2017, like in May 2017, former technical advisor for the NSA, right? Bill Benny, Bill Benny. along with 12 
other retired intelligence professionals published this report explaining that the DNC emails were extracted and transferred so quickly that they couldn't have been obtained by an external hack. Somebody stuck a thumb drive and, and got it. That's the only way it could Somebody have been. inside the DNC because they had to have access is, to those files. Which is files. where Seth Rich worked. Seth Rich worked for DNC. Exactly. Access. Another important thing we need to talk about is, is uh, December 2017, Sean Henry, the CEO of CrowdStrike, which was the company hired by the DNC and relied upon by FBI and Director Mueller to examine the DNC computers, testified, was it before the House Intelligence Committee, I believe? I believe it was. That his company had no concrete evidence that the DNC were hacked remotely. So the DNC hired this CrowdStrike and eventually they report, after a lot of press reports implying that, oh yeah, they found that this was a hack. And then all of a sudden they walked it back in, in the testimony and said, oh no, we have no, uh, we have no. Uh. And then the House Intelligence Committee, now this is in December, 2017, and the House in May, 2020, so they wait a few years, they publish Sean Henry's testimony. October, 2020, Journalist Cy Hirsch testifies that a source inside the government told him that the FBI had examined Seth Rich's laptop and that Seth Rich had requested payment from WikiLeaks. That was a bombshell. I, I read that. I thought, oh, I didn't realize he had asked WikiLeaks for payment. And all the media ignored it. You know, all the, most of the media, um, except for you know, a handful of conservative sites. Even Fox News is ignoring stuff like that. Uh, I should say something really interesting about this, to my knowledge, never in the history of the FBI or federal Department of Justice have they allowed a private or allowed a victim of a computer crime to hire its own private company to do the you know initial investigation and then turn it over to the FBI without the FBI ever even looking at the computers or the hardware or you know all the stuff that supposedly was hacked. I mean. That alone stinks to high evidence. Was this all this before the FBI said to you they had no nothing on Seth right. Rich? They had no. Right. God, that's such a colossal lie. Yeah, and, and when we haven't talked about the CIA. I mean, the CIA is uh, you know I filed this FOIA request on the CIA because I got a tip that said ask whether the the CIA fabricated DC leaks and Goose for two point oh. I should back up and explain that. Or I'm sorry. That fabricated, um, but when the CIA was running that, and, and, and I'll, I'll explain what those are, and then also um, Cozy Bear and Fuzzy Bear. Well, right. Cozy Bear and Fuzzy Bear are inserted into all these DNC emails, and so and attributed to the Russians. And so my question is: It's supposed to be the fingerprint proving right. that the Russians. Uh, this was a Russian. Exactly. operation yeah and so i asked i asked the cia you know specifically that you found well first of all generally you know, did you insert fingerprints into these emails to make it look like the russians did it did you um fabricate cozy bear and fuzzy bear and were you running dc leaks and christopher 2.0 and they came back and said we can neither confirm nor deny that's a what they call a glomar response, glomar response. right yeah, and, and I talked with a former CIA agent who said, if, you know, if they could have denied that, they would have come out out of the gates and said we would never do such a thing. And instead, they're saying, oh, it's a national security issue; we can't talk about it. So we're litigating that right now in federal court. Um, you know, why would you why would you deny something like that? Yeah, exactly. Right, right. So. Wow, that's a that's a kind of a high sign, isn't it? Uh, it is. <laughs> a really Glomar is. response to something that. If you really didn't do it, you would want to deny it. Right, exactly. You know? and there, there are exceptions to, to classification on national security grounds, one of which is, you know, that whether the CIA was involved in illegal activity. And so if they if they did this, then it was illegal. And so they don't have any basis for asserting classification. So that's what we're going to argue in court right now. One thing I think is very important to discuss, because this is one of the most overt examples of illegal CIA activity is the CIA by law, it's not allowed to operate in this country. And it is, you know, it so clearly is. Let's, yeah, let's talk about the CIA operating 
domestically in this case? Let's start with one of the most egregious examples. And this was some time ago, but the CIA uh, hacked into the Senate Intelligence Committee when Dianne Feinstein was the chair of that committee. I mean, think about that for a minute. It's a separation of powers issue. You've got Congress, which is supposed to be exercising oversight to the CIA, and the CIA hacks into the Senate Intelligence Committee, and, and, and nobody gets prosecuted for that. Why you know, would they? Not, why did they want to do that at that point? Was there? We still don't know because there, oh. there was never any real investigation. There was never any explanation. But the most plausible explanation is, you know, they didn't want Senate Intel. They wanted to know what Senate Intelligence was looking at. And somebody should have gone to prison for that, whoever was involved, you know, and nobody did. So, you know, we, we know they're doing dirty stuff like that. Cheryl Atkinson, who was a uh, CBS reporter, had somebody hacking into her computers at work, at home. She'd wake up in the middle of the night and hear her computer turning on. Right. And, and, and actually, she also said at one point she was actually watching, watching. as her... Yeah computer was remotely hacked. Okay, Somebody but went to her house as a Verizon uh, repairman in a Verizon truck and apparently installed a bunch of spyware in the house. There's no limit anymore. But yeah. I want to get back to, I remember Bill Binney from the NSA, ex-NSA, right, technical director, saying the whole Russian collusion thing was a CIA-directed operation. And he was talking about Brennan and Clapper from the CIA, ex-CIA. And that's yeah. interesting because that would connect Hil the Hillary Clinton campaign, their Russia collusion operation, to, you know, former CIA people. Absolutely. And I, and I should mention that uh, Brennan, was, who was the CIA director, is a rabid partisan. I mean, a, a complete politico uh, for the Democratic Party. And so, you know, and he's connected with, like you said, with all this initiation of Russian collusion and, you know, had FBI agents working on a task force with his people. So that's somebody that Durham should be call, hauling in front of a grand jury. Somebody should be prosecuted in all likelihood. Not going to happen. Now, what about Comey? Talk about yeah. his uh, talk about what he did to promote this whole thing and uh, he, cover it up. FBI director who later got fired by Trump um, was neck deep in this stuff. I mean, he's involved in the documents and some of the email exchanges. Um, he helped create Russian collusion. So, yeah, he needs to be hauled in before a grand jury. It probably won't be. Well, again, that's somebody else that Durham should be dragging into his, uh, you know, grand jury investigation, right? Well, my hope is that through the Huddleston cases and some of these transparency project FOIA cases, lawsuits, I should say, you know, we'll get enough documents. It's going to force somebody's hand. I mean, I don't, you can't directly force somebody's hand, but if we can get enough smoking guns, um, then you know, hopefully some congressional committees will show some interest and haul some people in to testify. And maybe eventually, um, if there's a change in administrations and somebody will get prosecuted for it. Has anybody from Congress shown any interest in, in your information? Is not yet, and I'll tell you why. And I've described the Seth Rich story as the last bus stop before Pizzagate. You know, nobody wants to touch this story because then you'll be labeled a conspiracy theorist or a kook or whatever. And so nobody in journalism wants to touch it. Judicial Watch, you know, which- Yes, I noticed they're sort of limiting their hangout there. You know, went out and said, oh, we're going to get, uh, we're going to go after records on Seth Rich, apparently saying that as a fundraiser. And they never did, which I've come to think Judicial Watch is the controlled opposition. They've done nothing on this story. And so they're leaving, leaving, leaving it to us, you know, some ragtag bunch of people to do it for them. Well, that's that's always the case, right? I mean, right. you're the the transparency project, by the way, is your own nonprofit looking into right. all this. Right. I want to move on to FBI's FOIA malfeasance in the Huddleston filings and in their responses to the filings. And the first thing I want to do is talk about the different types of activities and then you plug it into how they did that in in the in their counter their answers to your to your submissions. The indexing we already talked about, then the lim limiting of their searches, okay? By not they don't search all databases 
or relevant they databases. Don't. Right. They don't. And there's no way for you to know, really. Exactly. Well, that's what I'm hoping Jeff Mazant will really give us the leeway to plow into is what databases are you omitting from this search? So everybody else who's doing a FOIA request will know, you know, we have to ask for this database and that database and this database, not just their indexing system. Right. Find out what's going on. And I'll tell you another one. I did not mention this. They are fighting me tooth and nail not to search emails, not to search their text messages. And I told the court the absolute least um, you should be demand. We should be able to get the, the emails and the texts of these agents in Las Vegas and San Francisco and DC who were out interviewing witnesses and taking custody of evidence. We should be able to look at their emails or have, or have their email searched to see if there's any reference to Seth Rich or Aaron Rich, which is his brother. Um, and the only thing the FBI came back with was it was not reasonable and they didn't elaborate. In your filings, you call that not being conclusory. In other words, if you are going to make an argument, you have to back your argument up Absolutely. with the law that shows that your your argument is is valid. And it's true. It's absolutely striking how the onus is on you to do that, obviously. Right. And you do it in your filings and in their filings. They just say, well, no, it's 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 not reasonable. No, we don't have to and do sadly, it. No. Most courts just say, OK, fine. Rubber stamp, throw you out. And, yeah. So uh, you have to keep coming back and you have to keep citing the law on where in fact, you do have the right to ask for these things. Actually, you know, what that's you what I do is, is figure out where the courts are going to be friendly, just like the state attorney generals do. You know, they may be 15 attorney generals who want to file suit over immigration. And what they do is find the, the court where the judge is going to give them what they want. Both sides do that left and right. Right. And sadly, we've reached a point in our history where you have to find the right judge. So the other thing that they do is they lie about having responsive art, uh, documents, right? And, and that is, of course, proven by first they tell you they have none, and then all of a sudden they have thousands, thousands. Yeah, yeah. And I noticed in, in um, one of their responses to, to uh, your, them saying that they don't have to give you all these documents is that, oh, yes, you, um, this, you said that they, they withheld all these documents, but that's not that's not reason enough to say that they acted in bad faith. <laughs> yeah. We cheated across the board, but that's not bad. <laughs> these faith. these yeah. guys, I, I don't, you know, it, it feels like they're smoking crack, you know, I'm, I'm just, it's a joke, <laughs> but, um, but what's interesting to me is I, I, do they just rely on the judge not really paying attention to the details of their response or something? Because that's I think just, that's part of it, but I think there's a big there's a big um, bias in favor of the government. I mean, think about it. Who do judges work for? You know, they're creatures of government themselves, and so right. they want to say, "Oh, the government acts in good faith." And you know, and that just you know, if you read the case law, there's this huge presumption of good faith. You know, it's so government. interesting because the U.S. Constitution itself says, "Hey, this we have this Constitution because you know you can't trust the government." You can't right. trust it. And so here are the fundamental rights of the people as a, you know, so everybody is sovereign, you know, and this is a, and so it's so interesting that all of a sudden we have this system where these judges who are supposed to, I mean, the fundamental legal document of all legal documents in the United States of America is that constitution. You're reminding, you're reminding me of something, changes, changes direction here a little bit. Um, most FOIA requesters file their cases in Washington, D.C., including Judicial Watch. That's why we moved the Transparency Project to Texas. That's the last place I would file any That's FOIA so request. interesting. That's a very important information for anybody who wants to, to have an organization like yours looking into government malfeasance. Absolutely. Go to a state that is fair. Right. More importantly, you know? find find the judicial district in that state where the you know you got one or two judges. You know they're going to play fair. That's where you and that's where you headquarter your organization. Or if you're an individual, you know you have the option of filing a lawsuit whether you live or in Washington D.C. Never file it in Washington D.C. Right. Um, it's just that I, I've referred to the federal courthouse in D.C. as the most corrupt federal courthouse in America. 
And I, I could go into all kinds of detail about that. But yeah, you got to get it out of D.C. And I don't think New York is a very good place. Either. It's absolutely not. I learned that the hard way. Let's keep going on with the FBI's malfeasance. One thing they've done to you, too, is ignored your requests altogether. They ignore the requests and it takes time for you to respond and force them. You know, so we're watching you age as you're trying to get this thing to. Uh, yeah. So that's another thing, the foot dragging, you know, the line that allows them to you, drag their feet. That is the norm across most federal agencies. You're not going to get anything out of most federal agencies on a FOIA request unless you sue them. And that's part of the making it a long, uh, terrible process for you as a way to discourage you. And, you know, that should be <clears throat> that should be somehow illegal. It is, but there's no teeth. You know, there's no, no it's not enforced. And, you know, there's there's the Office of Special Counsel in D.C., which not to be useless. I know Completely them. Useless. That's their job to, to prosecute FOIA violators. I did a FOIA on the Office of Special Counsel and they had to come back and admit they have no record of ever prosecuting a single government employee for a FOIA violation ever. I mean, and there's no criminal penalties. I mean, at most, the person can get fired. But in the history of that office, it has never happened. God. Oh, and our tax dollars are just paying for these useless, corrupt individuals. It's so right. annoying. It's worse than annoying. It's, it's, it's an affront. Next malfeasance point, they improperly redact documents. Could you talk about that in this case? I'll give you a very clear example of that. So there's an FBI 302 form, which is the forms that the FBI puts, to, puts together when they interview somebody. And let me back up a second on that and talk about 302 forms in general. So in the, in the Huddleston case, the Seth Rich case, we have asked for the 30, we asked for the 302 forms, of course, for the interviews, but not only that, the initial handwritten 302 forms um, and then the drafts of the 302 forms. And the reason that's important is because we know from the Michael Flynn case that an agent can take handwritten notes in the field, but in the process it gets edited um, and you might have something completely you know, significantly different in the final 302 forms. So that's exactly what we've asked for in Huddleston case. They are fighting this tooth and nail to give, give over these handwritten notes. The other thing, you know, and, and how crazy this is, you know, if you're a street cop, you know, in some podunk town, you know, in Mississippi, you're going to have a body camera on you. And anytime you yes. interview anybody, it's going to be videotaped. And if you, I mean, you know, 20 years ago when I was a cop, if, if you're going to interview a witness in a witness room, it's videotaped. You look at all these TV shows on, you know, crime channels, everybody's videotaped. FBI does not do that. That's crazy. right. They never they have a precise and accurate record of their, of their interviews. And I and they think and, and they that's deliberate. Absolutely. That's Absolutely a big, and, and to me, that's another one of those, um, this is a way that get, allows you ball. to cover up. Yes, yes. I and know. that should that should be changed. That that should be changed. Congress, Congress should absolutely adopt res, uh, legislation saying you have to videotape it. You know, that's you can't do this handwritten stuff. It's ridiculous, especially in this day and age. Um, yeah. 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 So so anyway, we're fighting to get these 302 forms. Uh, but anyway, so the, the reason we know that they're making proper redactions is because one of these 302 forms, they redacted out the name of Deborah Sines. They redacted out the name of Aaron Rich. And I knew from looking at the form based on the public statements that Deborah Sines has made in interviews and in her deposition, because I deposed her. Again, she's the, the, uh, the former prosecutor assigned to the Seth Rich case. The yeah, the homicide. Case. Yep. And it's, you know, based on what is in that 302, they interviewed her and, and they talked about her and they talked about Aaron. They redacted her name out. They redacted Aaron Rich's name out. So they're just willy-nilly, you know, redacting out whatever they want to. And so it's not just the fact that they're improperly withholding documents altogether. They're making these redactions. And this is not new to my case or to my experience. I mean, this has been going on for decades now. It's well-established in multiple cases. And uh, so my argument to the court in Texas has been this idea of a presumption of good faith 
needs to be completely rejected, not just in my case, but across the board with respect to the FBI. And if we can get judge in Texas to make that ruling, I think that's going to have a watershed event where other FOIA requesters can take that opinion and say, no, the FBI doesn't get the benefit of a good faith assumption. Let's talk about how they improperly withheld documents. The NSA, they have not disclosed anything related to Seth Rich, given the Glomar responses, cited the statute, which is unique to the NSA, that says any information that they collect um, is not subject to FOIA. However, the, the exception to that is uh, information that they receive from other agencies. So, for example, if the FBI or the CIA taps into an NSA database and gets information, um, then my argument has been, you know, that's, a, that's no longer NSA information. Another agency has it. And certainly any information that the CIA or the FBI gets and gives to the NSA is not subject to a FOIA exemption. So we're fighting that out right now. But um, well, in fact, in one case, for example, I requested information on the 16,000 people that the FBI illegally surveilled. And there's a court opinion out of DC on that. So I asked for the names and uh, NSA originally refused. And then they came back and said, okay, you know, we agree. And I think the only reason they did that, they haven't produced it yet, but I think the only reason they did that was because it was the FBI that did this, not the NSA. In fact, the FBI tapped the NSA database to get all this information. Okay, but can they also say, well, it's the FBI's information, go get it from them? They can, and I've asked for the FBI, from from the FBI as well, but uh, I mean, that doesn't mean that they're not also supposed to produce it. I mean, FOIA applies to them even if they got it from another source and they didn't originate it. So that's, that's why we asked for FBI and NSA. The other, th- okay, invoking national security exemptions when they shouldn't. That's like a rock and a hard place situation because if they're invoking national security, you can't see whether or not they're doing it to hide a crime. And the one exception for invoking, one major exemption for invoking um, national security concerns is hiding a crime. Hiding criminal behavior. Absolutely, yeah, that's an exception to to the uh, Glomar or not the, the, the national security classification. So um, we've pushed that hard. I mean, sometimes if you make a request, like for example, when we asked for evidence about whether the CIA inserted Russian fingerprints, I mean, that's clear. If they did that, then it's clearly illegal. So they don't have a leg to stand on. But if you make a broader request. And you don't know or your request is not couched so that you can say what I'm asking for would show illegal activity unquestionably. Um, yeah, then it's a, hard, it's a lot harder to get that stuff because you don't know what they're holding back or what they're redacting. So you can ask the judge to hold what's called an in camera or have what's called an in-camera review where he reviews it in chambers. And I suspect we're going to be doing that in, in several of these cases. So you have to know about the crimes that they have committed and are covering up with the national security uh, response to be able to fight their national security response. Right. And so that's, that's why, for example, one of our requests is for the CIA's um, surveillance on U.S. journalists. Um, for example, Cheryl Atkinson, we've asked for her specifically. We asked for journalists in general, but that request is couched so that if you did it, it's, it's illegal. It's, you know, the CIA is prohibited from doing that domestically. It's a due process, but, you know, privacy violation. So, so yeah, um, that's. They're just going to say, well, we don't have that and, and just lie about it. I mean, they've done very it before. well. Yeah. I mean, that's the, that's the other biggie. Yeah, you know, these guys can just lie about whether they have it. And then, then there's really not much you can do about it at all. And that's why I think there needs to be criminal penalties for, for, government officials that do that. Who's going to start crafting these laws and getting them passed, you know, getting them accepted and and, uh, included as part of the uh, legal system? That's a great question. We need somebody in Congress to step up, to really step up. That person would be a real lightning rod for some attack, I'll tell you. Because at this point, there is such a huge body of, of criminal activity 
at the highest levels of government that uh, nobody wants to see that. Well, you know, like I said, DC is the world's largest mutual blackmail society. So, you know, my, my concern would be if somebody steps up to do this, then the CIA is going to try to find, you know, tap their computers, tap their phones, try to find some way to intimidate the person. I mean, they so, did it to Feinstein. They did it to the Senate Intelligence Committee, and they got away with it. I mean, it's all unspeakable. So talk about the evidence showing that the FBI deliberately concealed Seth Rich's role in leaking emails to WikiLeaks and supported the Russian collusion fraud. Well, so one of the things that the FBI did, or one of the most, more recent arguments is they said, well, the only thing that Clevenger can prove is that we originally said we have no documents, but he can't prove that that was untrue at the time. Well, it's totally false. I mean, they had his computer, they had 302 forms. I mean, they had lots of evidence that's relevant. Do you think the judge is going to see that? Absolutely. I mean, it's as plain as day. And what about supporting, about their support of the Russian collusion? That right now is not as clear because they've really not turned over much of anything. This is the one where the FBI has proposed that there's over a million documents and even in the first round, I think there were 500,000. So the FBI, was over 500,000, the FBI wanted to produce it 500 pages per month. So with, even with that initial number of five, 600,000, it was going to take 83 years for them to produce this stuff. And now they're coming back saying, no, it's 1.5 million. So, you know, we're talking about 150, 200 years to produce all this stuff. So that's something we're fighting out in court right now. How, how else could they release them uh, in a way that, that you could get them in a reasonable amount of time? The judge would have to just order them to do it and say, what, you know, bring in whatever resources you need, hire contractors, but get it done or else. I've read with great interest the FBI's response to the various aspects of your, because they want a summary judgment against you basically right. against the Huddleston. They 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 want the court to decide right away, yes or no. Uh, does is he allowed to have these documents or not? And of course, you don't you don't want that, right? Definitely not. Yeah. And um, and you have actually filed what's called a cross motion, right? Yeah, cross motion for summary judgment. That's pretty typical. And so you're I mean, basically saying you want summary judgment. We want summary judgment. Right. So cross motion for summary judgment is us saying, you know, these guys didn't produce anything. They need to be ordered to produce all of it. Um, I don't think we're going to get our cross motion. And actually, in a sense, we don't want it. We want discovery. We want to be able to take people's depositions. Um, you know, we want to get to the bottom of some of the stuff. Right. And with summary, yeah, summary judgment, you will you will not have discovery and you will not be able to uh, depose witnesses and and. So you will never get the full story unless you're mm-hmm. able to do that. Right. They keep using the word conspiracy. You know, you're presenting conspiracies and conjecture in your in your filings to the court, which is why they don't have to respond to anything that you are asking for. It's a straight out of the CIA playbook. You know, you discredit people by accusing them of creating conspiracy theories. Well, it's no longer a conspiracy. I mean, I caught them red-handed. They denied they had the documents, and then I proved that they did. So that's not a conspiracy theory. Yeah, and their response, amazingly enough, is just, oh, well, okay, yes, that happened, but, you know, that's not enough to show bad faith. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's... that's... Ignore that man behind the curtain. Yeah, they said that um, Huddleston has woven a tale of conspiracy and conjecture to establish that the FBI acted in bad faith in conducting searches. And then the other thing, the reason why they say that you have not proven your case for getting these documents is that you have engaged in conjecture regarding uh, the circumstances of the malfeasance because you have used uh, newspaper articles. Well, not just that, but you have used newspaper articles and used press accounts uh, to back up your request. And that newspaper, the press and and newspaper accounts um, are not verifiable sources. 
That's true in a general motion for summary judgment, but FOIA is unique because all you're trying to prove is that there's reasonable, there's reason to believe that the records are there and you're not just making things up. And so for that reason, in FOIA cases, most courts have said you can refer to newspaper articles to establish things, or not establish things as fact, but to establish that there's reason to ask for the documents and get more documents. If you have a plethora of reports that are saying the same thing over and over and over, I mean, these are outlets that don't necessarily talk to each other or communicate with each other. So they are disparate sources and they are all saying the same thing. So, and all you're saying is, so this is worthy of your consideration for validating our request, you know, that they give us these documents. Exactly. The other thing they're contending is that you have no right to any documents about Seth Rich, because even though he's dead and dead people have no rights, and so you should be able to have access to them. Now they're saying you cannot have them because of his survivors, they have a right to privacy. And there is some argument to make there, but you know, and I made this point to the court, I'm not asking for his Facebook messages about his girlfriend or the movies that he's watching. You know, I've asked him specifically to search those computers for relevant information and they're just refusing and saying, oh, well, it's covered by the right to privacy. Well, no, it's not. I mean, if he was doing this, and another point I made was his brother is one of the ones that's fighting that as well as his parents. His brother, you know, has gone into public interviews, said he had played no role in it whatsoever. He's filed a lawsuit against my clients saying that he had no role in leaking these emails. He no longer has any privacy interest. If these documents, whether it's a 302 form or messages on the computer, he has no privacy interest in that. We were talking about how Seth asked WikiLeaks for payment. Could you specifically talk about the source of that and what what the source said? That came, and it's, it's not firsthand, but it came secondhand uh, from Assange, Julian Assange. What did he say? According to my source, he indicated that the way they did it was, was eBay and PayPal. And it's, it's a really easy way to do things. You put a candle for sale on eBay and somebody buys it for $50,000 or whatever and you PayPal the money to that person. So that's, that's not hard to do at all. So is this a confidential source? Yes. Is this, do you think the FBI would have tracked that or has information about that? If it happened, it's almost a certainty that they would have that. And you've requested information on that? Well, we've requested everything they have on Seth Rich. So, you know, I mean, who knows what, you know, I mentioned that 10-page document that they want the court to review in camera. And they're part of, one of their arguments is that uh, if, if it's revealed and it will give away some of their investigative methods, well, that, that would not be phone records then because we know they use phone records. It would not be bank records because we know they get phone, get bank records. So what would that be? Would that be records they got from PayPal, records they got from direct messages from Twitter? We don't know. Wouldn't that be things like how we wiretap people's phones or how we go in and, and put bugs in people's? Isn't that, isn't well, it more along claiming, that? They're claiming these 10 pages came from a commercial institution, whatever that might mean. So it's pretty broad. Why would the commercial enterprise have to be protected? Well, I mean, it's a great question. If, for example, if it's PayPal or if it's Twitter and they're just voluntarily giving this stuff up without a warrant, well, then, you know, that's something they don't want to be public. Do they have a legal right to keep it uh, private? Well, there is a provision. There's an exemption that says proprietary and confidential information from a private company may be subject to protection. Um, But that's not an absolute but that's not proprietary information. Exactly. That's our argument. It's not the same unless it's a patent or the, the formula for Coke, you know, then there's, there's no privacy interest. Then they would fall back on, well, it reveals our investigative methods. And that's where things get interesting. Well, what are you talking about? Given what Durham is looking into, what information do you have that he can use? And what information does he have? that you could use that would converge your two cases? 
So I don't know exactly what he has. You know, he has no obligation to disclose it, and he plays it very close to the best. So, you know, I don't know what he's sitting on. I just know right now all he's focused on is the Alpha Bank stuff. And so he seems Talk about the Alpha Bank. Explain to the audience. There was this wild claim that uh, the Russians had a a direct link to Trump, and it was related to this, this bank. And uh, now we're finding out the whole thing was completely bogus, was completely made up. So Durham is going after that. And that's when Michael Sussman, the lawyer, took this stuff to the FBI, lied about who he was representing. So that's, that's the big focus right now. The question is whether Durham is truly trying to get to the source of the DNC leak, not just the broader or, or separate compartmentalized aspects of Russian collusion, but is he really trying to find out where the leak came from, whether it was Russians, whether it was somebody inside the DC or something like that. Right now, there's no public indication that he is. So the information that I have about Seth Rich, you know, could be very relevant to what the true source of the leak was. But uh, he's not talked to anybody on a, in our group. He's not talking with anybody like Bill Benny or any of these guys who have the technical expertise. Theoretical, he's got independent people who could do all that technical analysis, but we've not seen any evidence that he's going that direction. 